So it's really encouraging when you're the speaker and you've been praying that God would show you what to say to people and you prepare as best you can and then you come and during the worship God really meets with us and there are certain themes that come out in the worship that really underline that God is really wanting to speak about these things. So uh, particularly I want to draw out the amazing intimate love of God for us personally, that came out during those songs that we sang. Um, Even when we fail, he's there for us. He never lets go. And the other is the global promise of God for a new restored creation and for justice and fairness for victims in this life. I'm going to start by reading a passage from Romans 6, verses 2 to 10. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. These verses in Romans sound pretty straightforward when read on their own like this. It sounds as though Paul, in the the letter to the Romans, is saying that if you've said yes to Jesus, you should no longer have a problem with sin. If you read this passage in the context of the rest of the letter, however, Paul describes how that because of the nature of the time that we're in, which is what we call in the vineyard and in theology terms, the now but not yet of the kingdom, um, there's still a struggle with sin and indeed with all kinds of challenges and trials of many kinds in this world. So throughout the letter of Romans, Paul seesaws between stating what the victory that we have in Christ looks like, and the challenges that we have to overcome and break through in order to come into the good of this. You may have heard this in terms of, in one sense, we are saved because we've come to know Christ, but in another sense, we are still being saved because we're being sanctified and renewed through the Spirit into the image of Jesus. And this is not just a personal thing that's happening, but it's happening for the whole of creation as well. So this morning, we're going to think a little bit about what sin is. Not a very popular subject, um, but we're also going to dispel some of the myths 
which limit our understanding of it to be about just what we do. So sin is not just something that we do. Just want to think about three um, problems that I want to identify about the concept of sin. Um, Firstly, it's a problem because traditionally Christians have used the word to make people feel bad. Um, The word sin doesn't go down very well in our society. Um, It's definitely got a bad name. And in order to be able to explain it um, and to be able to communicate culturally, we have to understand it as well as we can for ourselves. Um, Secondly, I often hear the phrase, well, sin is sin. Um, And I looked for that phrase in the Bible, and it's not there. Um, I think what people are trying to say when they say this is that one sin is as bad as another. And I really don't agree that that is the case. Um, Sometimes sin has been described um, by using the analogy from archery, which says that it's missing the mark, like an arrow, not being able to hit that target. Um, And this can be quite helpful as an explanation, but it can also be quite misleading. Because on one level, we are all human, and we will never attain to the perfection of God um, but equally, on another, on another level, um, it doesn't mean that all sin is the same um, and has to be dealt with in the same way. And the third um, problem, um, perhaps concept that I've heard people say that I don't agree with, is that sin doesn't matter because Jesus has died for it. Well, that's a bit like saying cancer doesn't matter because there's now a cure. Um, and actually, it still needs to be healed, and it still kills people. So we're going to go on a bit of an exploration of sin this morning, and the reason that we're going to do this is because it will hopefully help us to understand it better, and by understanding it better, we will know our enemy better. There's a verse in Peter which says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And um, crouching behind the door of every sin, you're going to find the devil somewhere. He's not a person dressed in red with horns, uh, but a power that we need to confront and not ignore. We're going to look at some pictures now which are going to help us to think about some of the complicated ways that sin um, affects us all. And firstly we're going to look at this picture, which is the house of someone in the church. I think they're in here this morning, and I do have permission to show this picture. Uh, This person actually has a birthday today, Um, so happy birthday. So back to the picture. The door is open, and you might not notice, but so is the upstairs small window at the top. On the ground outside the front door and underneath the window, there are at least 40 pieces of clothing in various colours. Most of them are blue, but I think there's one uh, piece of pink in the corner at the edge. This picture was put on Facebook with the caption something like, 
We thought our little boy was asleep for the last hour, but actually he was somehow managing to post his clothes through the top window of his bedroom. <laughs> Naughty boy. <laughs> or maybe, what kind of parents would let their child do that? <laughs> These are the kind of things that happen every day, aren't they, where the mark is being missed, but actually it makes life a bit more interesting and exciting. We don't, not, we don't want our children not to be explorers or to push boundaries, um, but we do want them to be safe, and we do want them to accept our parental wisdom about when they need to sleep. So maybe we can agree that on a sin scale, this is pretty low down. And whilst it misses the mark of perfect behaviour, it's not really the kind of thing that we would think of as sparking God's wrath and judgement. As long as it's dealt with, within a loving family, lovingly and firmly, it will not hinder this little boy from growing into a decent, loving human being. We promise. <laughs> However, if there was no mechanism within this family of correcting the behaviour and using it as an opportunity for learning, if, for example, the parents had been out and left the children for a whole day, all kinds of awful things could have happened. And if the children were left on their own for a week, how could or would they have survived? So the important thing we learn from this adventure is that when we relate it to our short exploration of sin, um, in order that there is um, accountability and in order that society can deal with our misdemeanours, there needs to be order and structure and there needs to be love and protection in families. And these things all help towards bad things developing out of small things. Let's look at another example of sin, which has become more common in our society in the last 20 years. This is a picture of an arm that has been subjected to self-harm. Now, this is a bit controversial um, to call it sin. The reason that it makes us feel uncomfortable to call it that um, with that terminology, um, is because we know that the people who do this are acting out of very complex mental health issues, and they may have experienced terrible trauma. So when I say that I'm considering this a sin, I'm absolutely not coming from a perspective of judgment, and I'm definitely not coming from the perspective of blame. Our attitude to this would be that these, this person needs medical and psychological help and a lot of love and a lot of support. For all of us, there are less serious self-harm type behaviours that we perhaps do um, on a daily basis. We might put ourselves down because we're not confident. We might allow others to put us down um, we might binge eat, we might binge drink, and I could go on. Perhaps these kind of behaviours, we could say, only affect the person who does them. 
But actually, we know that's not the case because all of our behaviours affect the people that love and care for us. If we hurt ourselves, we hurt them as well. So we can learn from this that sin is both personal and social. It affects relationships. Sin comes from the outside through the temptation and the suggestion that we should self-harm, perhaps. And it comes from within. The willful act of doing it is how we respond. It isn't only social because it affects our relationships, but it's social because the, the society in which we live is where it's being suggested. So it's actually coming from outside, within society. So, society offers us options, doesn't it? It gives us lots of choices these days, and some of these choices are not great. It begins small, and it grows like a cancer. As I mentioned earlier, 20 years ago, self-harm was almost unknown in this way, um, but now it's rampant as a coping mechanism. And so that's an interesting way that sin works in society. Okay, here's another one. Here we have a picture of a betting shop. This is complicated as well because some people may make the odd bet in their life. Um, they might go to the races for a day out. Some people may feel comfortable buying a lottery ticket every now and then. But we all know that gambling in whatever form can become totally addictive and all-consuming and totally destructive. It ruins people's lives. It goes far deeper than affecting the one life because it destroys families and relationships. It's literally like throwing money away and ruining the lives of people whose money it was. Uh, we had a, a wonderful man in our church called Ian Bartlett, and he got caught up in a gambling addiction. I understand he went to jail as a consequence, but later found Jesus and was radically saved from the pull of it. Sadly, he died a couple of years ago, but he gave his life to campaigning for laws which would stop companies being allowed to entice people into gambling. He recognised that it was the corporate companies who benefit from people's weakness, who are the real perpetrators in this scenario. The individuals, in many ways, are the victims. Sin permeates values and causes us to behave in ways that are destructive, both corporately, socially, and personally. Okay, this last picture is an even more haunting one. There's a child looking through a fence and in the background are soldiers and people involved in the atrocities of war. There is no one in this scenario who is all right. All of them are reaping the consequence of someone's sin and it's been a sin which has escalated downwards for a long time. Some people are committing sin in this picture, but everyone, the victims and the perpetrators, are reaping its consequences. 
Some of the pictures that we see of Syria and other places that have been ravaged by war are literally beyond our imagination. One picture I saw had the caption underneath that this was hell on earth. And it shows us literally how sin leads to death. We know, don't we, that not everyone in this scenario is responsible because most of the people who are suffering are innocent victims. So let's go back to Paul's letter to the Romans where he talks about sin. At the beginning of the book, of the letter of Romans, he links it with the idea of God's wrath. And he says that when humanity sets out on a course which ignores the creator, God's wrath is shown in the fact that he gives people up to their own actions. His wrath at that time is not that he punishes them for it. The punishment, as it were, in this life is that he lets them go their own way. The Greek word for this is paradoken, and it literally means he gives them up to what they want to do. Now, I'm not saying that God's wrath just lets people get away with things, because God's patience is about giving free will, and in the process of giving free will in this world, there are going to be victims as well as people who are causing those problems. And this is part of our mission. And this is why we hold on to the promise of God for that new creation when justice for the victims is going to come. Okay, so God is patiently waiting and working for the renewal of all things. New creation has begun at the resurrection of Jesus so when Jesus dies, uh, he takes the full impact of sin upon himself. And sin, because he, he lived a life with no sin, death could not hold him. And through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, Jesus was brought to life and was the first of the new creation, it says. He's the first of the new creation. When we become followers of Jesus, we follow him through the waters of baptism into his death, and we follow him into life as we come out of the water. This happens symbolically in baptism, but it's something that we remember every day. When we receive what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection, we no longer experience the wrath of God because we become friends with him and we do not do the things that would make him disappointed. Let's look at those verses again um, at the end of the passage we read earlier, Romans 6, verses 8 to 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The picture and the message of baptism is behind a lot of Paul's thinking in this letter to the Romans. Jesus is the one that we follow, literally, into his death, where the old nature dies, and then into his life, where we become part of the new creation through the Holy Spirit, whose power raised Jesus from the dead. Death no longer 
has mastery over us. But we have to fight with sin. The way that the kingdom of God works in this world is through Jesus, who the Bible says came to destroy the works of the devil. And it's when we as his followers wage that war on sin and death that the kingdom breaks through. First, we wage a war on sin in our own life. We believe that it has no control over us. We pray. We believe God each day in our lives. We believe that he'll be close to us and help us to overcome evil in all of its forms. We worship him amongst the chaos and the turmoil and the suffering of life. And when we do sin, we receive his forgiveness and we work against those sinful impulses. And we get help where we need to get help. So the power of that sin becomes broken. Secondly, we wage war on the control and influence that sin has on the people that we love, on our families, our loved ones, and our church communities. We have each other's backs, and we encourage one another. We draw out the gold in each other, and we avert um, the type of misdemeanors that the little child um, did when he threw those clothes out of the window um, in each other's characters so they don't become something greater. And then thirdly, we corporately wage war on the control and influence that sin has on our town and on the wider world through the mission of Jesus, through prayer, through giving of our time and our money and our energy. And all of us has a calling from God in how to do this in places that we have influence. We all know different sets of people. We all have different families. We all work in different situations. We all have places of influence and all of us go out into those places and we are representing the kingdom of God as we go out. So the challenge for us today, how are we dealing with sin? Are we dealing with it personally? Jesus invites us to follow him and to receive the same spirit that not only helped him overcome sin in his life when he walked on the earth, but the Holy Spirit which overcame death itself by raising him from the dead. Are we dealing with it socially? Are we enjoying right relationships, encouraging others and being encouraged by others? And are we working together with others against the evil in the world? Are we praying for people around the world that are suffering? Are we praying that God will bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven?